Welcome to the fabulous. Welcome to the fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. It's live Music Friday. And coming up, music in studio with Wallace Field. We're playing a field in East Hampton is. next weekend. What is it? Is. Well, Wallace Field is. Okay, we'll, we'll find out. Because Chelsea Field is Wallace Field. Too. So we'll find out the, the differences between that name. Wallace Field is and or Wallace Field are playing a field in East Hampton next weekend to support the Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary. We'll also talk to Jonah Keen, the sanctuary's director. I found out they're both from Shelburne Falls and they both in the green room realized that about themselves, which oh, is really fun. Bringing people together in yeah. their hometowns. And we'll enter the Wine Thunderdome and find an alternative to the most boring grape, Pinot Grigio. Shout out to Christian up there. But first... Oh, I sound like I'm on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> this is fresh air. I mean, no. I sound like I'm on the radio. You're listening to Fresh Air, and I'm Terry Gross. <laughs> Here oh in the studios at New England Public Media. Don't we wish. This Saturday, the Vine Theater at Gateway City Arts in Holyoke, Le Cirque du Collectif Artistique. So fancy, all these French words. I'm not exactly sure what they mean, except that it has to do with meat for Tea, the Valley Reviewin'. Joining us is one of the founders of Meat for Tea, Elizabeth McDuffie, as well as husband and engineer, I think famous sound engineer from our area, who's worked with so many incredible musicians over the years, Mark Allen Miller, who are behind Meat for Tea. If people aren't familiar with what Meat for Tea is, Elizabeth, what is Meat for Tea? Meat for Tea is an arts and literary journal which is now midway through its 17th year. We've always had quarterly events to celebrate the release of each issue, so obviously it's a quarterly publication. (laughs) And more recently, it's also a book press and a podcast. The Meat for Tea cast. Which I just checked, and we are sitting at number one in the top 100 performing arts indie podcast on Good Pods. Congratulations. Thank Number you, one with a bullet. That pleases me. The homonyms in the name, meat for tea, of course, like you would meet someone for tea, but this we're talking meat like dead animals. And how did this publication get its start? I was adjuncting at Holyoke Community College, and I was in the office with my colleague and friend, Alex Wagman. We were grading student papers, and she turned to me and said, we should start a literary zine. <laughs> And I said, uh, okay. (laughs) And that conversation happened in November, and we released the inaugural issue, theme of Gristle, in February of 2006, so just months after having that conversation. That is a really fast turnaround. (laughs) Some people were calling us a get-it-done girls. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's a a collaboration of, it ends up being nonfiction and fiction and poetry and art, some of which is displayed on the cover, some of which is is inside. How did you decide to have, like, as broad coverage of literature and the arts as you do? Was that always the intent? It always was. We always wanted to represent multiple genres. I've always felt that people like some pictures with their words, no matter how old they are. Yeah, you don't outgrow that. (laughs) No, it's wonderful. There's an intellectual rigor underpinning meat for tea. Maybe after you get through that, a couple pictures would be refreshing. Is there always a uh, a meat theme? Because I, you know, the names you said gristle was the first um, (laughs) issue, and then I know there's loaf and then casserole. So tell, is that is that an ongoing theme of these quarterlies? That's an excellent question. And no, actually, from our very first issue, we decided, you know, it's meat for tea, and 
it was alternating years. So we alternate between meat and tea fiends. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's how it came to be that there was a chamomile or a hemp. Is this a meat year or a tea year? This is a meat year. The year of the meat. <laughs> imagine casserole tea. What, what would casserole tea casserole even tea. be? I don't know. And the new issue is called casserole? It is. That's a theme. Tell us about what's featured in the new issue. Oof, we just finished Lots the of stuff. Um, we, we've, yeah, we just... So it's fresh on your mind. Fresh it's, it's fresh on my mind. No, the, there's two wonderful stories by Jeffrey Feingold, and we recently published his book, The Black Hole Pastrami and Other Stories. Again, which, a meat reference. <laughs> Not necessary. Which just happened. It just happened. That, that, that was just... Unplanned. Some serendipitous occurrence. But um, he's been getting rave reviews on the books. I actually read one review in which his writing was compared to that of Isaac Bashevis Singer. So not crappy praise. (laughs) So yeah, we get a couple really great short stories from him and a lot of poetry in this Lots of poetry. It's pretty poetry heavy. We've got poetry from regular contributors, Jane Yolen and her husband, Peter Tacey. Yeah, small names that, Jane Lee Holen. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> a little known author who's written like 400 literal b- books right now. Is that, 400, yeah. 400 and counting. Like 467 she or something She is yeah. so like prolific. From, it is wild. From Hatfield, Owl Moon, mm-hmm. her famous book. Mm-hmm. So I have many more. run into more than one person who have never heard of her. They'll get a copy of Meet for Change. Like, Jane Yolen, who's this? I'm like, um. She's pretty good. I'm just always <laughs> aghast that someone with that literary celebrity has not gotten onto a person's radar. I'm, this is an ad for Jane Yolen. Yeah, she has been invited on the show. She hasn't made it yet, but we'll have her on one of these times for sure. Oh, yeah. Have her or with her husband because they, yeah. they've been writing what they call back and forth poems. Oh, cool. And, and yeah. They have an amazing older folk COVID era love story, so it, yeah. it, they would be worth having on just for that and the poems it, too. It is. It's yeah. a wonderful you story. You can hear that on the Meat for Tea cast. Oh, actually. Oh. Shameless plug. Oh, hey. <laughs> I segue that. So your magazine has had a podcast, not for... Too too long, maybe about like two thousand nineteen. Yeah, where did the decision to move into into podcasting come from? Well, we we you know we've been recording all of the uh, the circs, all the release parties, live the, recording the the bands and the spoken As word. As you sounds. know, yes, <laughs> yeah. we have somebody here who's been recorded. I've performed at one of these. It's true, or Full two of disclosure. them, several. <laughs> the so we have all these recordings. I'm like, what are we going to do with them? And they, we batted around the idea of some sort of two CD, three CD anthology with live music interspersed with spoken word. But that's that became really impractical, and we kept getting more and more recordings. <laughs> so we started talking about, oh, maybe use them as part of a podcast. And that's actually kind of was the, the it, first it, it, season was more it was that. organic. Mm-hmm. It was more it was more of the recordings from the Cirques. And then we started shifting more into conversations. Well actually I sound like I'm about to mansplain. Go for you it. You can well actually me. that's fine. <laughs> well actually the first episode of the Meet for Tea cast yeah. was a live recording not of a Cirque but of a special event we did at Corsello's Butcheria. Yeah. Cold more, cuts and cool cats. More meats. It was yeah. a match made in heaven. <laughs> the next Cirque is tomorrow, Saturday, September 9th at the Divine Theater at Gateway City Arts in Holyoke. Le Cirque de Collectif Artistique with Meat for Tea, the Valley Review, which is a non-academic affiliated magazine that recognizes the work of artists and writers and musicians living here in Western Mass and beyond. And we're joined by the folks behind Meat for Tea, Elizabeth McDuffie and Mark Allen Miller. The doors are at 7 and the covers 
sliding scale. F- oh, are we, are we supposed to talk about? There's, oh, we can bleep that we can bleep out. We can bleep that out, out. The, all the prices. Yes. <laughs> we'll just say sliding scale and, and call it. There yeah, is art on exhibit from the very illustrious Zosia Kohansky, also known as Wishbone Zoe, who designed our glorious poster. Also art from Chrissy Howland, who you may have seen tending bar in the Divine Theater. And there will be films by Wishbone Zoe. Spoken word, as always, and I never know who all is showing up to read until the night of. It would be nice, but I never do. It's kind of a cattle call. I love that film has always been, or has for a long time been a part of these certs. Just about always. What made you want to make local film a part of these celebrations for a literary magazine? That's been since the very beginning, since the very first release party, the Cirque that um, Alex Wagman and I had, we included short films. And there's really not a very illustrious answer other than we like it. <laughs> Part of it, too, is that you can't put, at least not easily, film or music into a printed format. For a while, we did include a, a CD, a limited edition CD with the magazine. And there was a CD-ROM in one issue which had yeah. films. So, you know, that, that was, was, that was attempted, start. but it, it was impractical and, and as the numbers of the issue went higher and higher. It's a, in a way, it's a way of extending, I think, the content of, of a arts and literary journal to be all, Multimedia. You know, all arts. You know, and me being in, a, in a, you know, the music world, it's like, yeah, let's do that. I wasn't part of the, uh, the start of it, but I no, joined on, on kind of early. No, you came on board. Well, we started dating in spring 2009, and you were only interested in meeting me because of Meet for Tea, really. Yeah. We'd gotten together to talk about Wow. Yeah, it wasn't Literary actually... Literary journal zine equals romance. Yeah, it wasn't intended, but it worked out. Lonely? Start your own arts and literary journal. <laughs> I mean, the world could use more of that. We already <laughs> talked about Jane Yolen's new romance and I know, surrounding and, all this, so hey, it could and work. And the poetry that comes of it, so I guess the lesson here for everyone is write more poetry, write more fiction, meet the people of your dreams. <laughs> and Mark, you mentioned that you'd come from a music background. You've, you've worked with so many of our favorite local musicians, you know, working on their production of their albums and yeah. Stone Coyotes and Spouse and Dinosaur and all these other great acts. So uh, that if you've heard that name before, it may be from the music realm, not just the, the literary realm of Meat for Tea. If you, totally. can, if you can read liner notes. Uh, yeah. Your streaming app probably doesn't have a lot of good liner notes <laughs> that's these probably, days. That's but. true. <laughs> Elizabeth McDuffie, one of the founders of Meat for Tea, I've always wondered this. I know that it's a fun play on words because it's spelled M-E-A-T. It's, we've talked about ad nauseum. Right. <laughs> but does is it a Bob Dylan reference? Because there is that Mighty Quinn song where he says, uh, ain't my cup of meat. You know it ain't my cup of meat. And I've always wondered, is oh. it a subtle Bob Dylan oh, reference fun. to call it meat for tea in that way? No. Unintentionally. Okay. Good. Now you I want, know. You want the story? It's it's back in the days of MySpace. Wow. <laughs> oh. When Tom was your friend. <laughs> I'm so uh, old. When dinosaurs roamed the earth. I miss Tom. <laughs> yes, exactly. When dinosaurs roamed the earth, a fellow slid into my DMs and asked if I would want to meet for tea. And he spelled it that way. <laughs> and of course, I was English professoring at the time, <laughs> so no date for him. Immediate disqualification. Immediate. But I, I liked the way the words looked on the page, and I decided I was going to keep that. But uh, initially, Meat for Tea was kind of an industrial electronica band. I was on synths and keys, and the bass player moved to... 
Brooklyn and the drummer moved to Rhode Island, so no more Meet for Tea the band. And that fateful day in November of 2006 when Alex said we should start a literary zine, I said, well, I've got a name. What made you decide to move into being a publishing house? Now you release, like, people's novels and people's chapbooks. We got strong-armed. I, 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 <laughs> I was reluctantly coerced into it. I really didn't want to. It's a, a whole fr- set of logistics on top of A frequent of early contributor, Michael Alves, just kept after me. He's like, I, I want you to publish my book. You should really you should really do a book press. You need to do a book press. And I just consistently said, no, no, no. And what's the benefit for you? And you should just self-publish. And our distribution leg and arm are very short. And our publicity legs and arms are even shorter. I'm now so, envisioning the meat for tea with tiny arms that like a dinosaur. <laughs> it walks on teacup legs. <laughs> yeah, right? Meat for T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> That's a first. I love <laughs> but anyway, so M- Michael just Team kept meat. after me and kept after me. And he's like, the benefit is it wouldn't be self-published. It would have the name of an imprint on it. And the press exists is really due to his tenacity. And that was in 2014. And now we have eight, nine. Eight or nine or something like that. Yeah, I know the, re- the most recent is The Black Hole Pastrami and other stories. Jeffrey Feingold There's before that be... was Funny Pages, Jerome Berglund collection of Senru. Are they all local authors too or is this the beyond? No, yeah. no, they're, they're from everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What usually grabs you about pieces that end up in the magazine? I look for a few things. I mean, my taste, there's definitely a sort of punk rock aesthetic, but also I just want to see some real intellectual agility. So really, really smart writing, but also maybe some self-reflexive irony. There's a bit of a punk rock aesthetic, I think. Yeah. The thing is, it's a zine that grew out of the name of a band. And it's not even, <laughs> and it's outgrown really the descriptor of zine anymore because it's perfect bound and averages 135 to 145-ish pages per issue. So it's it's truly... Hefty. Yeah, it's granta-sized, <laughs> if you're familiar with that. Esteemed literary <laughs> publication. Yours is also esteemed. You've won awards for this magazine. Yeah, we, we won first place in a couple of New England book shows, and then we won best in category, category obviously being literary journals, putting us above plowshares. Ho, ho, ho. Elizabeth McDuffie and Mark Allen Miller from Meet for Tea, that's M-E-A-T, hosting Le Cirque des Collectifs Artistiques tomorrow, Saturday, September 9th at the Divine Theater at Gateway City Arts in Holyoke at 7 p.m. Sliding scale with all sorts of multimedia extravaganza surrounding the most recent issue. And you can check out their podcast, the Meet for Tea cast, wherever podcasts are available. Thank you both so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. It was a blast. Yay! Later in the show, more music. It's Live Music Friday, and we'll listen to Chelsea Field from the band Wallace Field playing at the Arcadia Folk Festival in East Hampton next weekend. And we'll talk with Jonah Keane, director of the Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary. Up next, we enter the Wine Thunderdome and taste Italian whites that are an alternative to Pinot Grigio. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Because Pinot's gross. I'm sorry, I didn't provide any food today. It's all right. Sla- we have, I, you don't have to give us I food. Oh, no, we want to do it. It's fun. It is fun. Don't let me do it. I'll just we don't it. want to rob them of their fun. 
We want to eat their food. Next time we're going to challenge where I'm going to bring food and you just have to decide what the wine is on the fly. That's a great idea. <laughs> Police made an amazing gazpacho that I've had for lunch two days in a row now. That's a great Thunderdome. You bring in food and Wes and I are like, oh my God, what do we do? And we just wing it. I think that's a real fun I game. <laughs> time once again to re-enter the wine Thunderdome where it all began here in the Wine Bunker, deep below State Street Fruit Store, Deli Wines and Spirits in Northampton. This might be our least prepared Thunderdome segment yet, but we're still gonna blow your doors off. Okay. Yeah! It's because of the heat. But seriously, we wanted to drink red wine today, but we yeah. can't. We yeah. can't. It's, it's just, too, just too disgusting. Even here in the basement. Mm, Put a nice hot. chill on I'm it. really hot. I want a Malbec. No! no. Yeah. yeah. So what are we gonna drink well, there? Wine, sun? Americans, for some reason, can only keep one Italian white grape in their mind. That Pinot Grigio? That's Pinot Grigio. Uh, we don't need another Pinot Grigio. You know, 70s, maybe early 80s, it was Suave. Bola. I thought he was early 90s. Oh, that's Rico Suave, sorry. Suave. Gerardo. Somebody out there is going to be real excited and do the dance in their car. I actually thought that yesterday. I was like, oh, my is going to do the Rico Suave. I love Rico Suave. <laughs> That's a cool song. It's a song. It reminds me of a time. Lots I, of things I, do. I, yeah, a time where I wanted to pull my ears off my head. Just, <laughs> <laughs> suave is not a grape, though, right? It's a style? That's correct. It's yeah. a region. It is oh, a, it's a region, region. Okay. yeah. Much like the rest of old world Europe, the way we name the wine is actually the region that it comes from. So. But not Pinot Grigio, the white grape that we think of. That is a grape. It's not a place or a style. That's correct. Yeah. Italy, always Just screwing to us up. on your toes. Montepulciano is a grape and a place. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's not from the place. Here we have. So what gets grown in Suave then? What grapes get grown? Garganica. In? Garganica. And um. Battlestar Garganica. Yeah. Oh, bruh. What? Treviano, but Treviano de Suave, which is actually Verdicchio. It is Verdicchio. Yeah. I mean, how do you keep Radicchio. all this stuff straight? It's Radicchio. I don't, don't ask me. Most people are like, oh, Pinot Grigio. And pin, most Pinot Grigio is Planck. Not the most exciting wine, but it's not really meant to be the most exciting one. It's meant to be just, you know, aperitivo wine, light-bodied, pale, really, really acidic. Kind of like me. That, like you. Yes, like Trying. you. You're a, little bit more, you're a little bit Not more. Not to full. say the real cruel thing. You're a little bit more full bodied than a lot of Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that pale in the summertime so either. So rather than do the stupid ABC, we were like, okay, anything but Pinot Grigio on a hot day. So that's that was sort of the premise behind this. And we have one from the north and one from the south. So the first one we're going to try is from Aya de Colombi. It's a Falangina. This is one of the ancient grape varietals, probably first written about in the third century BC, sort of the original cult Roman wine. Wow. And it still has a really great old world flavor to it. And so this cool. wine that we're about to drink is 2,000 plus years old? That's right. 2,300 years Not old. Not this actual wine, though. <laughs> what, are you sure? I don't know. I, you <laughs> tell me. But the name, look, so Falangina is named from, um, it's actually it's a Latin yeah, term for the stakes, for the stakes that they use to hold up the vines. Uh -huh. uh, and this soil, I mean, it, this is soil from Mount Vesuvius. This is what we're growing. This is all from, or just outside of Campania, just outside of Napoli. Oh, yeah. Can smell the acid right off the bat. That's so nice. And it's somehow a little cheesy. How about a little bit more cheese with your wine? I hate you, and I hate your stupid puns. I got yeah. the cheesy, like a hard Parmigiani yeah. cheesy. Yeah. So I, uh, this word, um, I um, actually means barnyard. Uh -huh. So yeah, so maybe that's why we're getting a little a little funk. A little funk. A little funk. But like cheese funk, not like poop funk like you usually yeah. say barnyard yeah. is. Yeah, that's Cap Franc. Handpicked, identified in 100% stainless steel, and then sits in stainless steel for about five or six months. So it's not 2300 years old. I'm sorry. It's from 2021. Oh. <laughs> Does seem like another lifetime ago, though, at this point. Oh my point. god, I love this wine so much. I've loved this wine since the day 
famous French franc brought it in. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. I haven't even sipped it yet. The nose is really nice and floral. Mm. There's a little bit of once in a while a peanut brittle yeah, thing that like, comes through too. It, like, it goes with that cheese thing. Like, you know how with hard cheeses you get crystals and they always taste a little nutty? Yeah. It's got that on the nose yeah. somehow. So some Falangina's, depending on where they're grown, will also have a pine note through it. It's changing in the glass. You can almost smell the weight on this wine too. Like it actually has some real body to it. But it's super light in color and straw-like. Yeah. Yeah. It's color. got this really beautiful, th- that acidity just spreads yeah, real it soft. Yeah, classic, like, you know, most white wines, when you taste them, the classic thing is like green apple and lemon. This is like opposite day because Monty's still smelling his wine and I'm about to pour more. <laughs> and then I just took my first sip and it I really coats your mouth. <laughs> it's like very unctuous. I was waiting for that word to come up. Is that <laughs> how you say it? Unctuous. Speaking of yeah. um, the ancient, this is also called Phalangina Greco. So Greek style of... Yeah. Okay. Because the Greeks basically traveled all of the Mediterranean and planted grapes everywhere that they thought they might want to live one day. And they all became native grapes of whatever country right. they're in now, but uh, really you they can... They pulled tra- the Genghis Khan, but with grapes? Mr. Genghis Khan! This is a dude who 700 years ago totally ravaged China. I'm sorry, I want more. Why are you sorry about that? That's... I'm never sorry about anything. <laughs> I think I've taken this one home before, and I really I do that like I, it. Um, I think I sold you that one. I wouldn't doubt it. What's it called again? Aya de Colombi Falangina. And if we were to estimate an approximate cost. If 14 some, oysters. 14 oysters or 14 on, on dollar oyster night. All right, let's get to Northern Italy. Let's yes. do it. Ciao. ciao. We're going to take a Vespa ciao, 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 to ciao. Northern Italy. <laughs> We're going to talk about that woman who, who tapes herself doing Italian faux pas on TikTok and just does it to annoy her husband. Oh. Who I think is from Tuscany. Try the authentic Italian kitchen. It doesn't say authentic, it just no, says it's Italian, Italian kitchen. kitchen. No, no idea what they serve at Olive Garden. He doesn't even know that Olive I, Garden. Also, because we don't have Olive Garden in Italy. I love watching those videos. There's like, what a real Italian. Well, I usually see a guy who's an Italian American. What? Figatori. Uh, it's Rigatoni. Okay. Is it an Italian roommate one? How to piss off my Italian roommate? That is hysterical. No, turns out there must be a whole uh, subculture of I mean, how to piss off Italians. Italians are easily annoyed. Aren't we, though? Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> But I mean that in the nicest possible yeah, way. But yeah. That's what and that's how they got the mob. Oh, with all due respect. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> See, that's where the problem begins. You're about to say something that is not with all due respect. Sarno will never come on our show now. <laughs> I hear that he really cares. Dominic Sarno, a mayor who really cares. With all due respect. Wine number two. Ooh. Wine number two is the Tamalini Suave Classico. Suave. This smells like candy in comparison. I got orange rind. Yep. Or like mm-hmm. the, That's the, classic like the pith of uh, citrus fruit. It says with pulp. You like it with pulp. Not this much. I like the one that says some pulp. What the f- was that for? I'll write you up a list. Now this says that it's 100% Garganica, but nothing is ever 100% anything in Italy. It also <laughs> smells like blend. olives. Yeah. Hmm. So that's also... Um, well, yeah, I can see that. That's kind of the spicy thing, off, too. Yes. It's also common in Italy in particular to not separate your grapes from your olive trees. So you're, as you're wandering along there, oh, there's an olive tree right there. Oh, so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's in the wine now. There you go. You're welcome. This has like a fruit juicy yeah. feel to it. I bet yeah. you if you were like a... Uh, 
New England IPA fan and you tried this Suave, you'd, this would be right up your alley. If you're, you're... What a funny thing to say, but I don't disagree with you. Like it's, <laughs> it's juicy. Really? Again, hand harvested like the first one, five to six months in stainless steel, and then it's bottled and it sits for another year before they release it. So there's a little bit of time on this thing and it's um, very common for people to actually lay Suave's down. Again, you have this creamy texture. I think it's probably on Lee's. Did yeah, I just say lay Suave's down? Yeah, you did. And then you said on Lee's, like you sound so wine snobby right now. Lay suaves down means that you just let them just sit let them on rest. your shelf, yeah. laying yeah. down. And on lees means on the it dead, means... expended yeast. Yeah. But lees happens regardless yeah. of alcohol. Well, like you have beer on lees. Like right. like Belgians often come with the lees in the glass. Although this right. isn't so bready and yeasty. I don't know if it sits on its lees, but... No, there's a lot of acidity in this wine, too. It just doesn't have that broad, unctuous, unctuous body to it. It's also oily. It's coating mm. the inside of my mouth. Oh, see, yeah. I thought the other one was oilier. Unctuousier, which is a word I just this, made up. This has a had, uh, different texture. Mm-hmm. We had a very lovely wine rep in here, and she said unctuous, and Yankee Sippa and I both mm-hmm. glanced at each other amusingly. <laughs> we had a long is, standing joke yeah. where it's, some people do pronounce it unctuous, and that is probably also correct, but unctuous, unctuous is, is the way, way that yeah. Merriam-Webster pronounces it. Yes. Insert Merriam-Webster pronouncer from the Unctuous. website here. Unctuous. 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 In wine is a good thing. <laughs> I think so. I think In people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That With all due respect. <laughs> why did we trade this in for Pinot Grigio? Why? Do, why? We why can, did we do this? We can blame Bola, the mass producer of Magnum wine. I hope that people on the radio can hear my face right now. I can hear it from over here. Yeah. I'm not even looking at you. Yeah. Plus, Pinot is a very recognizable part of a wine grape name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is descended from Pinot Noir. Well, the whole point of this was to, and please come in and ask us, there are so many great wines at similar price points to Pinot Grigio from Italy, if you like that style. I had well, a Gavi over well, the weekend that yeah, I thought was really great. Gavi to Gavi, amazing. Vermentino, Vermentino. I mean, is great. It's Especially, you know, this time of year, we're still like, since it's going to be 80,000 degrees out for the, I guess winter's not happening. I don't know. Winter's never, <laughs> winter's never coming. <laughs> it's the hottest time in human history. So let's rock. So oh, we already have a no. tropical storm with an L name. Lee. Ooh. Yeah. It's resting on the Lees. Yes, it's resting on the Caribbean. We had a hurricane hit California. They're yeah. not even supposed yeah. to be in that ocean. Yeah. I identify oh, as a tsunami when I'm in the Pacific. <laughs> I believe it's Typhoon. Oh, right. Oh my gosh, this wine is also delicious. Mm -hmm. The the orangey nature of this second, the Suave, it makes me want to put an orange rind in my mouth to stumble around my vineyard and die. (laughs) What is the name of the second wine, the Suave? Tamalini, Suave Classico. So much like uh, Chianti Classico, there's a very specific original area that it is Suave Classico, and then there's a broader area that they can still provide Suave. Mm. All right, it's the Wine Thunderdome, State Street Fruit Store, Deli Wines and Spirits, in the Wine Bunker, the epicenter of the Wine Thunderdome, where it was all created. Two wines enter, one wine leaves. My favorite part of this part of the show is that it's hard for me every time. I'm yeah. like, I never I never come down here with a wine that I'm like, this wine's gonna suck, and I know I'm gonna tell everybody that this wine's so good. Good problems to have. Yeah. Good problems to have. From an intellectual standpoint, I really want to vote for the Falangina, but from a purely enjoyable point of view, I'm gonna go with the Suave, the Tamalini Suave, personally. Wine Sun goes with the Suave. Yankee mm. Sipa. I yes, really love 
the like, suave, but I'm going with the Falangina. There's something slightly more rustic about it. I like, it's, it's, it's an, like an adventure, flowers. right? Yeah. Yeah. The Falangina is an adventure. The Falangina, and I love that it's so old. I love that it's hardly planted anywhere. And it's just this beautiful rustic, you know, white wine that it's grown I on from Mount excited. Vesuvius. I mean, come on. <laughs> one to one. Want me to go next or you want to go next? Uh, I'm in the middle of retasting, so you go next. I love the suave. I think on the last days of trying to get out to the beach, yeah. hot weather, sitting outside and drinking, that that super orangey, refreshing citrus thing is gonna be great. But I've purchased it before and I will purchase it again. My vote is for the Falangina, and I'm gonna have a little more right now. Oh, it smells like really flowers going really back from the suave. God, Khalees right. takes forever. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh man, Wes, I'm with you again. I really, really like them both. I kind of like the softness of the Suave, just a little bit more. It is called Suave after all. Suave. Well, last time we flipped the coin oh, that you always right. have do in you have your pocket. Coin? I do have a coin oh. in my pocket. Do you have the coin? All right, heads, Falangina, tails, Suave. I will not okay. be upset if it's not us. Heads it is, yes! Falangina. Is that heads? Is that not heads? Oh, no, oh, wait. that's tails. Tails never fail. Reading glasses it is. <laughs> so Wave wins. Oh, wow. I'm not sad that Wave won. And my no, eyes lose. Wins. Both of these wins. are fantastic. If you need just a little bit more bracingness, like get the Felangina. If you need like a little more softness, get the Suave. Yeah. Like they both work. Perfect for Northampton. Everybody wins. Everyone gets a gold star. In this case, it's deserved. They're both you know wonderful. You don't need Pinot Grigio. That's Wait, right. What? You don't have to drink Pinot Grigio. If you like Pinot Grigio, that's awesome. But there are good Pinot Grigio. There are. There are. But and, you and have we, to look. Right, and we actually have a lot of Pinot Grigio, and we have some very, very good Pinot Grigios. But don't limit yourself to that. And don't feel overwhelmed. Ask one of us, and we'll show you some awesome Italian wines that are not Pinot Grigio. We don't need another Pinot. Why? It's in the theme song. We don't need another Pinot Grigio I or Chardonnay Oak. That All we want is wines beyond sad. the Thunderdome. <laughs> Every time it plays, I'm just sad, but it's true. Next weekend is the Arcadia Folk Festival at Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary in East Hampton. Up next, the sanctuary director, Jonah Keane, and one of the musicians performing at the festival, Chelsea Field of Wallace Field. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Next Sunday, September 17th in East Hampton, Signature Sounds and Mass Audubon present the fifth annual Arcadia Folk Festival. Already at five. I know, right? <laughs> I remember the first one. Me too. This outdoor musical event brings the community together around music in the heart of the valley to celebrate and support the work at Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary and to model a sustainable community event. And joining us is Sanctuary Director Jonah Keane and Arcadia Folk Festival performer, both of whom are from Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts, but they didn't know this about each other until you were in the green room, right? That is right. Represent. Ori origi originally. <laughs> neither of us are there currently, but originally. I know, and there's a very yeah. dramatic story about what happened to your childhood home, yes. Chelsea, that we'll hear about in a little bit. Um, but you go under the moniker, musically, of Wallace Field, and we'll hear about why that is, too. <laughs> but let's first hear a song. 
Sure. This is the title track off my record, which came out earlier. Well, then this tells the story oh, of what happened, right? That's, so maybe then, we should talk about that. Why don't you tell us the story of what happened? <laughs> well, let me just get into that. Um, so kind of how I started getting into music and performing publicly was um, a really transformative and tumultuous period where I was going through my first real adult heartbreak. And then three months later, uh, I lost everything I owned in a house fire. So was really feeling like I was at ground zero and had to figure out what was I going to be rebuilding for my life. So um, that's how I started performing publicly. I had already been writing songs. And that's kind of the themes that this album centers around is kind of just rising from those metaphorical and then literal ashes. (laughs) So this is the title track from that uh, album called All Costs. My driveway Never to be seen from again That house would burn three months later And I would not reach out Protected at all costs 
protect me at all costs? Who will love me when I'm wrong? Wallace Field performing next weekend at Arcadia Folk Festival alongside other fantastic acts like Valerie June and James McMurtry and Suitcase Junket, Taylor Ashton, Little Roots, the list goes on and on. Before we talk about the work of Arcadia with the executive director, your name is Chelsea Field, but your band's name is Wallace Field. We were talking about that at the beginning. Tell us the, <laughs> the differentiation between those. Outing it out. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so my real name is Chelsea. Um, I chose Wallace Field as a stage name just to incorporate. Wallace is my mother's maiden name, so I just wanted to bring that half of my family into my performance e alter ego. And yes, I've changed all my security passwords. You can't, that's not one of them. <laughs> What's your social security yeah. number? No. We'll get to that later. Um, should we call you Wallace Field? I apologize if you want to I mean, that's okay. I mean, it's a little confusing, so. Yeah. I don't think so. It's not. People no, do we stage can, we'll call you I, I have my Wallace hat on right now. There you go. Okay, well, I mean, my real name is Chris and everybody called me Monty, so go ahead. Call me well, whatever no you idea. want. Well, this I have no idea. This is shocking. The veil just, <laughs> re yes, removed. Uh, we're not sure if this is your real name, but Jonah Keen. Um, <laughs> it's my you, stage name and my real name both. I use them both, yeah. <laughs> uh, you are the director under Mass Audubon of Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary. Not to be confused with Acadia, the only official national park just was there. In, in, in New England, which Khalees just went to. Yeah, yeah in, in Maine. Very, yeah. very different. This is very lot, different. Still lovely, yeah. but very different. A lot yes. closer. So yes. what is the mission of, seals. of Arcadia yes. <laughs> in East Hampton? Uh, so yeah, so we're part of Mass Audubon. We're Mass Audubon's hub here in the Valley, and we are working to protect the nature of Massachusetts is our simply stated uh, mission for both people and for wildlife. And how big is Arcadia? On the ground, Arcadia is pushing 800 acres, which is pretty impressive considering wow. we're packed right in against downtown Northampton and East Hampton. We're right in the middle there. Yeah. And it's, you know, it tells the story of what we do as an organization because it's 800 acres now. We've been around since 1944. Uh, Arcadia has been. It originally is 140 acres. And so we keep protecting more and more land, protecting more important habitat and restoring more habitats. That's a, that's a part of the Arcadia story. I loved when I lived in East Hampton, like what? driving or walking down East Street and seeing, like, little pockets of it, right. too. Like, it's not yeah. that it's all together, either. Like, there's some bits along walking paths, some bits along the bike path, and some bits beyond, too. Like, it covers a lot of extra ground that you wouldn't necessarily think of as being, like, centralized. Right. Yeah, a lot of people come to the visitor center. They're like, oh, that this, this is Arcadia. Then you're walking on the bike path far away. Like, oh, this is it's also still Arcadia. Arcadia. <laughs> when does yeah. it end? Yeah, it's pretty, oh, yeah. It reminds me of the no may may, uh, no mo may thing. It was like oh, yeah. this for the pollinators. This too for the pollinators. <laughs> and so w you teamed up with Signature Sounds, who for the longest time has been involved in other festivals like the Green River Festival and then the Back Porch Festival. And this is a fundraiser uh, for Arcadia that if you've never been there, it's it's beautiful. It's picturesque. You're like going through all these little fields that we're talking about. And then all of a sudden pops up either a big stage or a tiny little hidden away stage. So how right. did that relationship begin? Yeah. So we so for our 75th anniversary of Arcadia, we wanted to do something special. Um, so we got together with Signature Sounds. It kind of came together organically. And we thought, let's do something new. Let's do a celebration. 
And we landed on this idea of a music fest at the sanctuary. We thought we would do it once just as a celebration of 75 years. And then we realized after doing that first one that we really hit on something. Everyone was like, whoa, this was really cool. Uh, So we're like, oh, let's... Let's keep let's keep doing this, uh, and it's just been incredibly positive response from the community. Just just not to, so it's a fundraiser. Yes, it helps support our work, but it's also a chance for us to celebrate together, to bring people together, and to demonstrate how to do such a thing, how to have a big community event and do it sustainably, reduce our impact on the planet while we come together and have a good time. Yeah, I was just about to ask. Like, it's a it's a big. It's, not like a giant festival, but like enough people coming through where there might be issues of like people trampling things or not necessarily treating the arena that it's in with uh, as much respect as they normally would just coming on a visit. How do you mitigate that for an event like this? Yeah, it's a great question. It's really, it's the perfect size event in my opinion. (laughs) Perfect size, it's a really lovely size. and but we do get you know 1,800 people or so that come through, and we focus them. It's the main way that we do that is we focus them into this one little area around uh, the visitor center that's already impacted, uh, and so we do not, you know, we don't bring them all over the sanctuary and sen- to sensitive habitat. And the thing that's amazing, like some festivals you'll see afterwards, and it's sort of like a this wasteland of like bottles and stuff thrown around. We're a zero waste fest. After that same night, you could walk around Arcadia and not know that anything had happened there. It's it's like it's amazing. How Leave gentle, nothing but gentle. footprints. <laughs> Take nothing but memories. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. The Arcadia Folk Festival and is from a lot of brownies. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> is happening next weekend in East Hampton and coming up more with Jonah Keen, the director of the Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary, and more music from one of the performers at the festival, Wallace Field. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. And we are joined in the studio for Live Music Friday by Wallace Field and by the director of the Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary because next weekend there's the Arcadia Folk Festival. Wallace Field will be performing at the Folk Festival. Let's hear another song. Sure. Uh, This song uh, ends my record. It's called Breaking Promises. I told myself Never wait around for anyone, anyone But here I am Breaking promises to myself again, self again I feel so alone, even though I'm not, no I'm not Just pick up the phone, put it away to 
bones And I'm stuck in thought, lost in rot Why am I like this? I always ask, I'll never know Wallace Field performing in a field at the Arcadia Folk <laughs> Festival next weekend. Arcadia, East Hampton, the Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary. What animals do we see in this field while we're seeing all of this music? Bring on the birds. Jonah Keane, director of the Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary. Bring on the birds. You know, no guarantees. No guarantees for wildlife. But it has every fest. People, We have bird watchers, of course, that are there. You know, because it's Arcadia, uh, and the people keep a little tally. There's always birds flying overhead, so birds for sure will be seen. No Special guarantees. birds, fancy birds, fancy birds. You know, there's a good chance you'll see. You know, it could be a bald eagle. There's bald eagles that that are right there at Arcadia that nest there um, and fly overhead all the time. We have a red-tailed hawk that just is right lives at the visitor center. Basically, is always flying around. Um, but the special birds at Arcadia that you will not see are really out in the, the meadows um, part of Arcadia. We manage that specifically for grassland birds that are a group of birds that are in decline. They need this habitat that we maintain for them. So birds like the bobolink, which is an incredible bird. People say it looks like it's wearing a, a backwards tuxedo. It's, out, it's the way nice. it's colored. <laughs> and, uh, and it flies every year all the way down to the middle of South America, 6,000 miles, and then back up here and then comes to our field Arcadia to nest. It's just really cool. I always think, oh, that's amazing. We, we're maintaining this field for this bird that's making this huge trip to come here and, and raise its young right here. I didn't. I thought penguins were the only birds with tuxedos, but now I know the bobolink has one. <laughs> well, they wear them. They wear them forward. Yeah. <laughs> All birds are fancy, Monty. There are herons that nest there too, right? Yeah, so years ago we were known as the Great Blue Her- Heron Rookery area there. Yeah. Um, they've moved along actually partially because of the bald eagles that moved in to uh, their neighborhood. Smart. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not because of the folk music. No, it did not affect. <laughs> not the songbirds. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I remember my kids were little and they went to go see the nesting heron and it was incredible for them to go we, and yeah, see that. Yeah. It was up to 59 pairs, 59 nests oh, at wow. one time. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty incredible. Wow. And then the eagles moved in and those numbers sharply declined. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens whenever I I hear the eagles. I try to uh, blow down too. Desperado. Yeah, I know, right? Jonah Keen. We're just throwing punches. <laughs> Friday, we're feeling punchy. Uh, <laughs> Jonah, you, this has been an effort to make this festival low impact on the environment, and there's been a lot of steps to bring it to that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we really wanted to fit with our mission. So we said, oh, it's a great time. It's amazing music and scenery, but we also want the whole event to. S- 
to fit with what we're trying to do. And so we wanted to show how can you come together and do it with a really low impact. So we looked at all the ways that an event has a big impact and we tried to reduce them. So there's no generators, all of our all the electricity at our at our festival is solar powered. We have all the solar we need there to power it. Uh, all of the waste that is created is compost primarily. So um, I put those are air quotes that nobody can see except for those of you here <laughs> in the studio. Yeah. Um, so the waste is actually compost. We have at the end of this at the end of the day with 1800 people there we have you know a little half half bag of actual trash that goes to a landfill most of it is compost um, and we are working really hard to reduce our impact of food too so we, we switch to hundred percent plant-based food that's served there uh, we're not trying to say that everyone needs to only eat plants exclusively for the rest of their lives but we're saying hey look you can eat a plant-based meal it's delicious and you can reduce your impact for this for this meal so uh, we're just trying to show folks what's what's possible Jonah Keane, the director of Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary, Arcadia Folk Festival happening at the sanctuary in East Hampton next week. Wallace Field, who are you most excited to play with? That's what I was going to ask. Oh my gosh, Mm. there's so, I'm just so excited to be part of this bill. I'm excited for Huna to kick off the main stage in the morning. And then it's just a dream to be sharing a bill with Valerie June, who is just a personal musical hero. Um, So yeah, I'm just so, so excited for it all. She's wonderful. She, she calls herself a musical fairy, and yeah. she's not wrong. She is <laughs> not, wrong. not wrong. She is wonderful. Yeah. And it's it's uh, James McMurtry, Suitcase Junket, Taylor Ashton, so many more at Wallace Field next weekend at Arcadia in East Hampton. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. Next week on the Fabulous 413, it'll be a farmy fiesta. We'll tell you about Farm Stand, a coordinated day of giving towards the Farm Resiliency Fund that was set up by Governor Healy's office in the wake of the disastrous July floods. Which hit Arcadia. Indeed. We'll talk to the folks administering those funds at the Community Foundation of Western Mass and at the United Way of Central Mass, and hopefully we'll talk to the governor herself. Keep those fingers crossed, yeah. y'all. Plus an accessible tour of an outside art exhibit at an apple orchard in East Hampton and an artificial intelligence tour of a corn maze in Sunderland. Special thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Wispbone Zoe, Outro, Tina Turner, Gerardo, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, The Annoying Orange, TikTokers Carlo and Sarah, The Sopranos, The Godfather, The Sarno Campaign, and Wallace Field. That's not an endorsement, y'all. No, I just used a clip. Just used a clip. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Kalee Smith. We'll see you next week on The Fabulous 413.